Hello and welcome to Table Topics. This is where we discuss topics that came up at our gaming table or yours. I am Michael and this is Table Topics episode number 48, not in Spanish. In this episode we have three main areas that we discuss. The first from a question that was sent in by a listener named Jerry who had some questions about the proper way to utilize the budget when building an encounter in Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition as well as including things like hazards and traps. Then we discuss the news that Dungeons & Dragons Basic for 5th edition will be a free download and what that might mean and whether it's a good or bad thing. And then we kind of get caught off into a bit of a tangent. I had an idea for a new type of game that I wanted to run where character death is sort of assumed and built into the story. And I was just sort of brainstorming uh, Caleb and I back and forth, and we, we kind of got away from it a little bit, but we came up with what we would probably think of as like a game setting. And uh, we are still looking for a name for this segment. It's, it's something we may do in the future, which is essentially come up with a game concept, a campaign concept, not using the synergy method. So if you have a good idea for what we end up doing, please send it to us and let us know, and we might end up using it. So I do want to mention that Caleb and I recorded this episode several weeks ago, but clearly the topic was still on my mind because I was asked to guest on one of my favorite podcasts last week, NPC Cat. They do a segment called Camping Crucible where each of them come to the show with a single idea or concept that they want to work into a campaign setting that the other ones haven't heard about yet. And they sort of brainstorm, talk through the process and figure out a way that they can make a viable game or, or setting out of all those ideas meshed together. So I got to guest and, uh, and participate in one of these, and there is some similarity between what we, Caleb and I came up with and what you're going to hear here and what the NPC cast and I came up with there. They're not exactly the same, but there's definitely some similarities that you may see that it was probably still on my mind when I was doing that podcast. So another thing I want to mention is we do have a backer, our first Patreon page backer, and it is actually the NPC cast. They have pledged $5 a month to help fund our show's growth. And for that $5 a month pledge, they get one, our undying gratitude. Two, they get some shout out love on our podcast, like they don't get enough of that anyway. But uh, specifically, they get their name, or in this case, their show name on our Patreon backer page on our website. They also get access to our podcasts early. And then they also get access to what we are calling our plot pack, which is an email that Caleb and I will put together once a month. And it will contain things like NPC descriptions, maybe a fantastic location, the idea for an encounter, a plot hook, a magic item, something that you could take and go directly to your games, drop it in and use it that night. If you are interested in maybe becoming a backer of our show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. We have funding levels as low as $1 all the way up to the Dread Pirate Roberts level at $10,000 a month. Moving on from that, we do have three new iTunes reviews that I would like to cover here. Egama wrote a review titled Great RPG Podcast. It goes on to say, I like that they are about 40% D&D, 30% other RPGs, and 30% Game Master advice. The very old content has some poor audio quality, but the actual role-playing is great throughout, and the audio is fixed in the recent episodes. So once again, thank you, Gamma, for the review. Secondly, we have a review from Pop Culture Cube. Title is Great for GMs and Players of All Levels. Pop Culture Cube goes on to write, 
The RPG Academy has a wealth of info and entertainment for any RPG enthusiast, from great game casts of a variety of RPGs to helpful theme shows covering numerous aspects of running and playing games. Definitely one of my favorite gaming podcasts, plus they are very responsive on Twitter and email. So Pop Culture Cube, thank you very much for your review. And I would just add in there that also Facebook, we do have a Facebook community that's it's fairly small, but uh, we try to be on there just about every day and interact with uh, our listeners. And if, uh, if you're not already, or if you're a Facebook person, because not everyone is, and you haven't already given us a like, please consider that and uh, kind of join in the conversation. And then lastly, we have a, our third review for this week. It's by Anarchy Reigns. The title is Captivating, and uh, Anarchy Reigns goes on to write, I have yet to play a full D&D roleplay, yet I have been listening to this podcast for almost six months. Sadly, can't find anyone willing to play D&D with. But when the time comes, I doubt they'll even know I haven't played before. I love listening to these podcasts, and the variety and detail these guys bring is awesome. Keep it up. Well, Anarchy Reigns, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. I really appreciate the review. I hope you find a game. Uh, send me a message on email, Twitter, or Facebook, and let me know geographically where you live, and maybe I can help find somebody around there that will game with you. And the last thing that I want to mention, I did tease this last time, or threatened it, I should say, but we have launched a new Teespring t-shirt campaign. So the address is teespring.com slash hgc2 gencon 2014. That's help get Caleb to Gen Con 2014. And basically on the front, red shirt, our logo, Fire Breathing Dragon on the standard. On the back, it actually says, I helped get Caleb to Gen Con 2014 because all the profits, if we get to the point we sell 150, is going to go to getting him there. So we will know, as will everyone else at Gen Con, when you wear the shirt, that you helped get Caleb to Gen Con 2014. Trust me here, I made the cost as low as I could to make the shirt reasonable that we would have enough profit to, to be able to get Caleb to Gen Con this year. So unfortunately, the number of shirts we have to sell at that profit to get the money that we need to do that is 150 shirts. We already have six. It's only been up for a day, which is amazing, but that's still a long ways to go. And I have pledged, and I'm pretty much pledging for Caleb at this point too, that if we get there, if we can do this, and we get to 150 shirts, that we will run a game at Gen Con. This year, we will we will work it out. We will co-DM something. Don't know what yet. The The campaign only goes for three weeks, so we're going to know pretty quick if it's going to happen. I'll give us plenty of time to make the, make the arrangements. So I will clear something off my schedule, and we will do a game off the books. We'll find either my hotel room, a lobby somewhere, so that it's only for people who listen to the show. We'll, we'll set some sort of way to register. It'll be just for you guys. But we will run a game at Gen Con if we can find a way to get to 150 shirts. So enough of all that, on to the show. Here is Table Topics, episode number 48, not in Spanish. So, Caleb, sir, how are you? I am doing well, Michael. How about you? Not too bad, Oxford. Today was a very 
crazy work day. I don't need to get into the particulars, but uh, I ended up leaving work a little late, which put me late getting home, late for dinner, and then late to the gym, and then obviously late for the podcast. Uh, so I appreciate you uh, staying up a little bit later than you normally would since you have to get up early tomorrow. So hopefully this episode will be exciting and it will be worth your time. <laughs> that's, that's a heavy weight on your shoulders there. Yeah, so. no, I, it's a lot of, a lot of uh, like I said, weight on my shoulders to make sure I keep up the energy and keep you excited and engaged. Because <laughs> I think I mentioned I've been editing what will be ep- episode 47 and I'm loving it. And I know it's probably the wrong thing to say about loving your own work in some way, but I just feel like maybe you and I, for the first time, truly clicked, or there was just something about that episode where it just sounded like we were having fun. Like, just listening back to it, I'm like, you know, we've just figured it out. So hopefully this episode will continue that. Uh, Secretly, which won't be a secret as soon as I say this, I think it's partly because we had the weight of the Patreon page off our shoulders. But you and I have been working on that for several weeks. We were really like making sure we had all the pieces right and were the rewards the right and, you know, milestones. And we just, I think it was just like this huge weight off our shoulders. Whether anyone ever donates or not, it's at least done. And we can now move on to something else. I'll agree with that. That was a, uh, that was a big thing to get done. I'm glad we have gotten that ready to go. Yes, uh, I'm very happy it's out there. So I just, I really think that was part of it. So now we get to move on to our next big secret project. Let's get into to, in tonight's uh, into the podcast because uh, we got some cool stuff to cover, and um, and you got to get some beauty sleep. So, the three things that I kind of want to talk to you about tonight, um, and we may not get to all of them. It just kind of depends on how things are going. But we got an email question a few days ago, I believe, from Jerry, and Jerry had some questions specifically about Fourth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, and about building a balanced encounter. And I think he was just having a little bit of trouble fully understanding the XP budget and how that works. Um, And then I think for me, there was a little bit of a art versus science in the question that, um, you know, you could go straight by the math, but it may not truly build a balanced encounter. And then he followed that up with questions like, well, how, what about working in traps or working in, um, you know, environmental effects? How does those, how do those affect the budget? Uh, I want to talk about the big news with uh, D&D 5th edition that uh, it was announced today or yesterday on Mike Merle's Legend and Lore article that D&D is free. Nothing. De- zero de nada. No, zero de nero. That's right. Spanish. <laughs> zero de Ken- yeah, zero, zero, zero nero, saith the guy with the Kentucky Educational System right here. I have a bachelor's degree, by the way. Not, Not in, in Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> Not in Spanish. Uh, quick side note, I actually at one time was going to be an English teacher, because as you know, I wanted to be a writer. Wait, and, yeah. uh, I didn't, did I not told you that? Oh, God, we got we got to get together. At Origins, we need to sit down and go over this. So we really should. Uh, you know, we got to work out this chemistry thing. Get this show thing wraps. Uh, yeah, we got to figure it out. But I could not pass a foreign language. And at least at the college that I went to, before you could get an English degree, you had to have at least two credits in a foreign language. I tried both Spanish and French. No. And then I uh, fell into the job career that I have now, which was kind of weird, and I'm still with it 15 years later. Uh, But anyway, basic version of the new 5th edition is going to be free. It's going to come out in a PDF, free to download, free to play, 
It's all you need. Technically, you can play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition for as long as you want and never pay anything at all if you don't want to. And I think that they're really going... When I first heard about them not doing one core book, because I was on the bandwagon that they should have, I was disappointed. I now see why this makes more sense, and I'm more fully on board. Rather than getting splat book after splat book after splat book, we're going to get adventure setting, adventure setting, adventure setting. So very excited about that. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about, and this is going to be a kind of a curveball for you because you've had zero time to prepare for this topic, is I had just a kind of a strange thought the other day. And I was listening to a podcast. I listened to Cthulhu and Friends. And it, uh, yeah, thumbs up. It's great. Those guys are doing a really good job. I really like it. Uh, but I've only a couple episodes in, and there's a lot of danger in that game. You know, you're basically playing normal people. You're not playing heroes, and then you're put into these crazy situations, which is probably why I like it, because I often run D&D games like that. But one of the characters almost died. Spoiler alert, they didn't, at least not in the first two and a half episodes. <laughs> but it, it got me thinking about running a game where the death of the PC was included, sort of planned for or worked into the story as part of the story. So again, I don't know if any of the characters in this game die. I'm not saying that. And I don't necessarily talk about a Cthulhu game necessarily, but just a game where and not even like Dungeon Crawl Classics, like where you come to the table with five characters because you know two of them are going to die right away, but where you have one PC and it's just part of the story that they are going to die. And when we get to that topic, I'll more fully explain what I mean. So what do you have, Caleb, before we jump into our topic? Oh, man. Um, nothing much to say really from my end. I have been trying to flex my GM and writing muscles a little bit by uh, getting some play-by-posts games kicked off on a uh, on a forum that one of my friends put together. I'm doing a couple Cthulhu games over there, and uh, probably a fantasy-type D&D game. I don't know, kind of, uh, I was following some of the news about the uh, the D&D announcement today, but then I wanted to hold off on it until we talked about it. So I kind of put a pause on everything until we got here. So unpause, and here we go. Okay. Um, so let's actually start with that, because that is probably the big news. And then uh, we'll come back to the 4E, because I think that'll be kind of a short topic. It's very specific. And uh, I'm going to let you answer that, because you were by far more knowledgeable about 4th edition than I am. And then we'll wrap it up with this idea for a game I have, because I don't really know how long the topic that'll be. So... Clearly, I'm excited about D&D Basic being free. I think it's a great strategy move on Watsy's part. I think it, it really it reinvigorates them into a fight where they have been the heavyweight champion for so long that I think much like Rocky in Rocky Three, they got complacent. And then some of these other freemium games and premium games and free-to-play like Fate and Dungeon World and, of course, Paizo with Pathfinder. I think they've been chipping away at the champ for a while to the point that you look back and go, I, you know, I don't know if they're the they're really the champ anymore. I really think this redefines that conversation once again. So, obviously, I'm excited, but, Caleb, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, do you have any strong opinions, positive, negative, or just anything you're particularly looking forward to or any questions you have? Ah, uh, man. Well, <clears throat> my my first response this morning 
was awesome. The, the core version of 5th edition will be free, so everyone can get to know it, get a feel for it. Very, very cool. Makes me very happy. Okay. My second response was, well, now D&D is just following the trend of games being filled with microtransactions and pay-to-play content. It's the the iTunes app version of a role-playing game. You know, you get the game, and if you want level 2, you have to pay X dollars for it. If you want the new character class, you have to pay X dollars for it. On one hand, that frustrates me. On another hand, I, I think it's a smart business move. And on a third hand, I think it's just, you know, following the current gaming trend. So I'm okay with it. It's not my favorite decision, but I think it's a smart decision. I think when Wizards of the Coast released 4th edition, there was such an abruptness to the change that no one was prepared for. The hardcore fans bought the books, uh, and they continued to buy the books. I don't think it was a financially bad decision. I think it was a, uh, a characteristically tough decision. The the nature of the game shifted so much that that's where all the backlash came from. And I think that backlash actually bled over into non-gaming media. I think a lot of people who don't, uh, don't follow the gaming world, aren't serious gamers, can very easily identify the addition wars that 4th edition caused. So I, I think by following this trend of all the open beta testing, uh, all the sort of transparency between Watsi and us uh, leading up to 5th uh, edition, making the actual basic rules free. Hey, everybody can look at them, everybody can get used to them, everybody can understand the mechanics before we are asking you to drop 50 bucks on a book is a very smart decision. I don't think I'm the right guy to say whether that's the right or the wrong decision, but it's a good decision. All right. I can I can respect that. You know, we were D&D Academy for a couple of years before we switched to RPG Academy, so I'm, you know, no shame that I love Dungeons and Dragons. And I think that the the term Dungeons and Dragons is still ubiquitous in general culture. If you ask people who are not gamers and you say you know, you want to play Dungeons and Dragons. That doesn't necessarily mean the game Dungeons and Dragons. It is it is the equivalent to a generic role playing game. It's sort of like uh, I'm from Southern Ohio, where you say Coke and that actually means soda. Yeah. So if you say, you know, I want a Coke, that doesn't necessarily mean the brand Coca Cola. That means you want a soda, and you still have to say, I'll take a Sprite. Um, you have to clarify that. I don't know. I don't know how far regionally that goes, but it's something that kind of confuses me sometimes. I'm like. If I order a Coke, I want actual Coke. So if I say I want a Coke and they're going to walk, what kind, I think they mean diet or cherry. I don't know. You know, I, I'm confused by that. So I think that the, the I think Watsi are really trying to leverage what they have in their favor, and that is brand recognition. And you've already seen it with the Cree, which is like the, the sort of the Lego version of toys, that there's a D&E version of that now. They are re-coming out with miniature line through, I think, WizKids. They're coming out with the D&D-themed dragon 
dogfighting game, which is basically X-Wing, but with dragons. They, I think they're really just like doubling down on when people hear Dungeons and Dragons, they want them to know that that means something and it's not just role-playing games. So we're going to see video games more coming out. There's already been a couple, but there's going to be more things like uh, Lords of Waterdeep on uh, the App Store. And then this, you have a free version. So if you're that, let's say you're a 15-year-old kid who's thinking about playing D&D or you're a 38-year-old housewife who's wanting to play a role-playing game, what's the first role-playing game that you're going to think of? Dungeons More than likely. So what does anybody in our current world do? You look it up on the internet. So I type in, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. And one of the first thing that comes up is an official link to a free download of all the rules I would ever need to play the game. It's no brainer. There are people who, are, people who have never played role-playing games before are going to download this for free. They're going to try it. And just like a drug dealer, that first taste is free. After a little while, someone's going to go, you know, this fighter's cool, but I really want to play this. Well, for that, you got to buy this book. You know, it's 50 bucks, but you get all this other cool stuff, too. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, by the way, here's 100 new monsters. Don't you want to fight this crazy thing? Oh, yeah, that's 50 more dollars. Oh, and here's a free adventure because you want to play role-playing games, but you're really not good at designing adventures because no one's good at it to start with. So here, we've already put one together for you. It's 38 bucks, but it comes with all the maps that you'll ever need. I just think it, you know, I'm not saying they invented this. I just think it's probably the smartest thing they could have done in the current climate of, of games. Other than kickstarting it. That would have been the only other thing they could have done is if they kickstarted uh, basic D&D. Hmm. That, uh, I don't know how that would have gone, honestly. I'm kind of joking about that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been bad, I think. <laughs> I, th- I think the, the, the drug dealer version of Dungeons & Dragons is is the right thing to do. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> M- morally, I'm conflicted now. But yeah, so I- I'm I'm super excited. I've, I pre-ordered the starter set through Amazon. I know you're supposed to support your friendly local game store. However, it's much cheaper on Amazon. And two, I had a credit from the Kindle book thing they did where I... I I spent money more than I was supposed to, so I pretty much got it for free. So sue me. The start that starter is supposed to be out Origins. I'm not sorry, uh, Gen Con time, right? But before that, actually, it's going to come out in mid July. I think oh. July 15th, and then the Player's Handbook is supposed to come out the week after Gen Con. But they they said they would have copies at Gen Con. I'm sure it's going to be a limited supply, but you will be able to get them at Gen Con as well. That makes sense. That's the plan. And then I believe it's one or two months in between. The next will be the Monster's Manual, and the next will be the DMG. And again, that's all optional stuff. It's it's nothing that you have to have to play the game. So um, super excited about it. Uh, the only thing is, I'm I'm not a big person on digital stuff. I still like to have physical copies. So I'll probably will end up taking that free PDF and getting it to Kinkos and printed. And I'll probably end up spending fifty bucks getting the fucking thing color copied and spiral bound because I'm crazy like that. <laughs> so that free book will still cost me money, but that's just, that's my own insanity. But I'm excited about it. All right, so anyone out listening, I would love to hear your opinion. So are you excited about it? Are you blah, blase, whatever? Uh, you know, have you already written off D&D or is this the most excited that you've been in a long time? Love to hear your thoughts and opinions on it as well. Uh, so please consider, you know, send us a tweet, send us an email. Join us on Facebook. We're up to 75 likes, which is like 72 more than I ever thought we would get. 
Uh, that's because I had three friends when I started this. <laughs> I'm really trying to get to 100. I'll be very excited about that. So join us on Facebook. Uh, we have we actually do have quite a few people. Loyal may not be the right word, but they're consistent with uh, you know responding to things there, replying, and then to Caleb and my point or to our credit, we are trying to do a good job or better job of engaging on there. At least once a week, I try to post something as far as like a question, a prompt, you know, an idea for a magic item or something. And the more people we get involved, the better off that'll be. All right, so let's move on to our middle topic. Um, so again, this is Jerry's question about uh, encounter design for 4E. Basically, he was talking about how do you balance an encounter in a fourth edition. And then we can kind of extrapolate a little bit as far as uh, just building fun encounters as well. So I'll kind of let you take this one. Okay, so <clears throat> let me be clear. I am not an expert with 4th edition. There are many, many, many people out there on the Internet that are much more well-versed and experienced with 4th edition than I am. There's tons of resources out there. Um, there's all kinds of encounter generators and... Uh, just blogs with tons and tons of advice, and of course the forums are littered with it. So if you really want to dig into the, the nitty-gritty and the meat and potatoes of 4th edition encounters, please, please, please go check that information out. The, the short and sweet version, to my understanding, is this. Um, <clears throat> when you are generating an encounter in 4th edition, you start with your PCs. The level of each PC gives you an experience pool, an XP pool. So for example, a level 1 PC I believe starts with 25 XP. Now this is not the XP for leveling up a player, a PC. This is what um, what that PC is worth, quote-unquote, when it comes to combat. Uh, now, that XP rating increases exponentially as you run from level 1 to 30. So you take the total XP pool generated by your PCs. So if you had four characters and they were worth 25 XP each, that gives you 100 XP for the encounter. You then flip through the monster manual. All monsters and traps and environmental effects have an XP cost. All you do to create a supposedly balanced encounter is make sure the cost of your monsters and traps and environmental effects add up to the XP rating of your party. So if your party is worth 100 XP, you should have 100 XP worth of enemies it should be an even encounter. Now whether that encounter is, whether that budget is spent on one solo monster, whether it's spent on a bunch of minions, whether it's a trap and one bad guy, that's up to you to have fun with. But as long as the numbers are the same, it should, underline italics bold, should be a balanced encounter. And that's the simplest explanation you can have. No, and I think, again, it's a pretty straightforward question. And, I, uh, you know, Jerry, I hope we did make it make a little bit more sense. 
I believe there's even a chart in one of the books. Now, again, I don't know. You may have, um, you know, planet secondhand information. You may not have access to that book. But I believe it's in the DMG, and it has a chart, and it even has three columns. There's like an easy encounter, a truly balanced encounter, and then a tough encounter. So, you know, if you, again, for your budget of 100, if you want to make that a pretty easy encounter, let the PCs feel like badasses, then you only spend 50 of your budget. If you want an encounter that's going to push them to their limits, but they should win as long as they use good tactics and the rolls aren't against them, then you use 100. And then the third column is a difficult encounter where you would go over by, by a certain percentage. I think it's 150. And you'd say, this is an encounter that's going to be very tough. They're going to have to use sound tactics. And if the rolls are against them, then you may have one or two PCs that go down out of, out of your group. But, but somewhere in, in that range is where you want to be. So anywhere from 25 to 150 is the range that you want to fall in for a first level encounter, assuming you have four PCs. And obviously that uh, scales up and down. If you were to have a party of two PCs, you would have to cut that down. If you have a party of eight PCs, you'd go up. But uh, the thing that I would want to mention is you do have to pay attention to how things work. So, for example, an environmental effect, I, I, I'm not familiar with those truly having an XP budget, but I'm sure there's books with that in there. But if an environmental, environmental effect has a chance of affecting everyone in the combat, both PCs and NPCs, then I might want to devalue that a little bit because it's not truly just opposing my PCs. So if it's like a 50 XP fired you know, ball in this uh, fire swamp like Princess Bride, but it's randomly going to hit one of the you know, NPCs or PCs, I may not give it full 50 points against my budget because it's going to hurt the bad guys half as much as it affects, or, you know, just as often as it affects the good guys. And then um, things like traps, if they are traps that immobilize you, then that could be an encounter killer right there. You know, if somebody gets stunned in round one, they may never become unstunned before they die, particularly at low levels when your saving throws are bad. And then the last thing I would say is just the number of uh, enemies. So you could take one solo monster that's 100 XP and put them against four PCs. And I would say the PCs have a better shot than if you put them against eight mooks that are all 10 XP each because of the number of attacks. The, the, the solo may take out one character with one hit, but if you think about more than likely initiative, you got four PC attacks, one bad guy attack, three PC attacks, one bad guy attack, two PC attack, one bad guy attack, one PC attack. You've got like 10 PC attacks before all your PCs are dead. If you have four PCs fighting 10 mooks, then you've got 10, by, 10 bad guy attacks, four PC. Then you've got like six mook attacks, four PC. So the math is kind of against you in that case. And if your rolls are pretty well average, you could end up having a dead party. So that's where the whole art versus science comes in. And where DMs like myself, who the angry DM hates, uh, I make shit up on the fly all the time. So that way, if I see that the encounter is going bad, I'll just uh, mess with the numbers behind the screen. <laughs> well, something also to remember, um, in 4th edition, when you have that one badass solo or boss monster, their rule structure is that they get multiple actions per round and they have a lot of abilities that work or trigger in response to the PCs. So you might only be fighting one dragon or one beholder 
but instead of just having one turn, that Beholder is going to have maybe two or three other attacks that trigger on later PC turns. So it adjusts itself so that it's doing more things. It's one of the problems with 4th edition. It's one of the advantages of 4th edition. I mean, I'm, I'm dead in the middle when it comes to positive or negative about 4th edition. I've got to say, one thing I really do appreciate, though, is this concept of the XP budget for an encounter makes it a lot easier to, to figure out how to properly balance, or at least theoretically properly balance an encounter. I'm, I love 3.5, but that uh, CR chart in the DMG is impossible to read. And when I was a brand new GM, I spent hours just trying to decipher, okay, I have to average my PC levels, I have to, all right, I want an, an encounter of this level, so that's a monster of X level, but I really want to fight three creatures, so I have to subtract two and then divide this out, and it was just crazy algebraic formula. And then I just said, fuck it, a thousand zombies, we're done, I don't care. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, that's one of the benefits of keeping your party all the same level mm -hmm. so that it's a little bit easier to figure out the chart. And again, I'm, I'm like you. There's things about 4th edition I really do like, and there's things about it that I don't care for so much. And from a truly marketing standpoint, I think if they would have just put a different name on the book rather than Dungeons & Dragons, it would have been probably more successful, or at least you wouldn't have had any of the backlash because there's lots of people that really like fourth edition, particularly the the people who came in on fourth edition that were that they, they bridged from like world of Warcraft and other uh, computer MMOs. There's a lot of similarities in those and intentionally. So I believe to make it an easy transition and they really enjoy it. And I, and I remember the first couple of D and D next play tests that I went to at a, at a store, they had the option when you showed up, you could, play like like encounters basically you could play the next version or you could play fourth edition and there were always people there who wanted to play the fourth edition and generally in my experience this is one person at one store two different occasions those were usually your younger guys your 15 to 18 year olds i'm guessing this was their first rpg they wanted to play fourth edition so it has a lot of things about it that i really like some things that i don't but from an encounter design standpoint i've said this before it's still the easiest to run now, next may top that when it's fully released. But when I first started playing 4th edition, I took two people who had never played D&D before. Within the first night, they were playing their characters fine, where normally that was like a three-session process. And like, a, you know, AD&D in 2nd edition, you'd come there for the, You always played the fighter first because no one else knew how. You couldn't do anything else, or people would just tell you what to do. So it really wasn't fun. So there's a lot of benefits to making that a game that you introduce people to. So I don't I don't understand the hate of fourth edition, but I do get the this isn't the game we thought we were getting kind of feeling. Uh, what if when fourth edition came out, we got a PDF for free of a couple base classes, a couple monsters, and their entire level progression? If we would have gotten the fourth edition basic document. I think players would have gotten a lot more behind it because they would have been able to get that taste of it and say, wow, okay, this is definitely a drastic change, 
but we've been playing it for a couple months and we see some of the advantages. And then we say, okay, now there's three players' handbooks and now there's a dozen different uh, race or race and class and monster expansions. I think that would have smoothed it over a little bit. Not perfectly, it's still a hugely different system, but I think it I, I think it would have been a better transition. And I think someone at Wizards of the Coast very smartly brought that up and said, "Hey, let's let's try to uh, even over the cracks here." If the fourth edition is your edition of D and D, that's all that matters. Play whatever you want and have fun with it. As long as you're playing a role playing game, we're happy. And again, our motto is: if you're having fun, you're doing it right, and that's regardless of what game you're playing or how you're playing it. So the last thing we're going to talk about tonight, and again, I have no idea how long this is even going to take. But essentially what I was thinking is of a game, just sort of a campaign idea, where as a DM, you intentionally planned for PCs to die, and that was part of the story. And as I you know, kind of mentioned at the top of the show, I'm listening to a Call of Cthulhu game on a, a Cthulhu and Friends podcast, and again... The episodes I've listened to, no one's died, so don't yell at me if in the next episode two people die and you think I'm spoiling it for you. I, I don't know. But I have a feeling that there's probably going to be some character change just based on how things have been progressing. And then also I love Dungeon Crawl Classics, and that's it's you know pretty much in there that your character's going to die. But I think what really kind of set it home to me is last episode that we were talking about, we, and this was something we didn't, plan it just sort of came out in our conversation of using a cutscene with npcs that the players play knowing that they're going to die just to set up the villain so you come in you start off the game and you're like okay bob you're playing sally the farmer's wife uh sarah you're playing bob the farmer's husband or whatever the case may be you got two kids it's you know the fire's crackling the crops are uh, about to be harvested you know cow's been milked you're just relaxing in front of the fire and you hear a, a rapping sound at your door, and then it's 10,000 orcs come in and beat your whole family to death. The end. And that would wow. be a way that... <laughs> yeah. Got kind of dark there at the end, didn't it? Wow, um, I didn't expect that. <laughs> so the, the idea being that you're setting up the bad guy without not ever actually having to have your PCs interact with them directly, which, as we've said before, that's where the whole shoot them in the face problem comes from. And I think that's what really spurred that, is I thought, what if you played sort of like a mystery game? So Supernatural or Call of Cthulhu probably would work. But what I, what actually made me think of it was the Stephen King novel uh, Salem's Lot. And so let's say that we're playing a game or you're playing a game, you, Matt, and Scott, who are playing my 13th page game. I'm the DM. And it's it's like a modern game. You're playing normal people. You're the, the baker. Matt's playing the mailman. And Scott's playing the town drunk. And the adventure starts happening. Your characters get involved, and then you get into a situation where, you, like, you inspect the old, you know, old man fodder's uh, house, and it turns out it's a vampire, and you all die. And rather than that being the end of the game, the next time we start off, you're now a completely different character in the same town. Maybe you're the, the plucky newsporter, newspaper reporter. Someone else is the, the star quarterback of the football team. And the other guy is one of the professors. And the first thing that happens is you read the newspaper article that three men were found murdered in an abandoned house. And their death provides clues to your characters. And this just happens over and over again. Every time your characters die, 
the next character is like, man, this is the sixth murder in, you know, in the last few weeks. This is getting weird. And you use those deaths to propel the story forward rather than, ah, well, we got to start a new campaign. First off, let me just say I'm very glad that you're listening to Cthulhu and Friends because, goddamn, that is my favorite show. And the fact that you are only a few episodes in, I want you to not go to work and just listen to it for two days. Is this like the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones? Like, you want me to get to a part so that we can talk about that part? Exactly, yeah. Got it. I love Cthulhu and Friends. I, I, I've talked with the guys, all the people that are on the show, pretty regularly. They've got a great fan following, and I, I see why. This is such a good show. It's more... The show started off as kind of an actual play. It really evolves into almost just a radio drama. It's so exciting. It's so well done. Uh, and you're right. Uh, I, and I think um, this is really part of Call of Cthulhu that, as a game that sets it apart from Dungeons & Dragons. And I've said this online a couple times. Dungeons & Dragons is about accomplishing something. It's not necessarily winning. We've had that discussion before. Right. But Dungeons and Dragons is about accomplishing something. Winning the fight, getting the treasure, saving the princess, finding the MacGuffin. Call of Cthulhu is seeing how long you can survive in the face of insurmountable odds. There is no winning Call of Cthulhu. There is, I lasted longer than you. You died first, I died second. That's the nature of the game. I am as passionate about Call of Cthulhu as you are about 5th edition. I love Call of Cthulhu. I think your idea, now that I've rambled a bit, uh, that, that's, my, that's my method of distraction. I'm just going to ramble about something while I think. I think your idea works. I think it has to be made known that this is how the game is going to play, though. Although, I, I wouldn't the first death, because I think that would ruin part of the right. surprise. Yeah, you're but right. But after that, it would become like, okay, we now know what's happening. Yeah, I, I think that first time, there's a total party kill. And you tell everyone, all right, that's the end of the session. I'll see you next Tuesday. They say, well, wait a minute. Do we need new characters? What are we doing? And you say, we'll take care of it on Tuesday. And at that point, you're just giving them, all right, John, you're, uh, you're the reporter. Timmy, you're the, the quarterback. Hey, breaking news, 6 a.m., everybody's dead. Oh, that moment at the table is going to be awesome. Now, here's my question. Would this work in a normal fantasy D&D &D setting? Would it be as impactful? Would it, could you carry the same story because what you're describing works in a a real world game a call of cthulhu a d20 modern um it works when you've removed i'm not going to say when you've removed the supernatural element because obviously it works for call of cthulhu but it it works where you've taken away the supernatural power of the players it would work in a supernatural game where the characters know the supernatural exists and make use of it and interact with it, but they themselves are not supernatural. So if the characters have magical supernatural powers, if they're wizards, if they're 
whatever, psychics, uh, if they're aliens, whatever the setting of your game dictates, is it still going to fly? And I don't know the answer to that question. A couple things I'm thinking of there, and this is something, if you played D&D for a while or any other RPG, you probably had this situation where you start the game, you're, whether you're first level adventurers or you're zero level farmers or whatever you start up when you're playing your game, you end up on a quest of some sort, whether it be to go kill the rats in the cellar or to go, you know, get the uh, immortal sorcerer's stone from beneath the dragon's lair. But at some point in time, you're going to go off on a mission of some sort. And then you have that situation where one of the party members dies. And so that character, that player brings in a new character who has no real connection to that story. They're only there because they needed a new character. And, you know, you might do the thing where it's Landfill 2 or it's his brother or cousin. But, but that gets old pretty quick. And then you continue on that story and then a different character dies. So then you bring in another character. And if you play the same game long enough, eventually you have a situation where you have none of the original characters that were on this quest and have any sort of emotional buy-in. You're now dealing with people that are just there all by some loose association. And as a DM that's a storyteller, I don't like that. I, I think it starts that usually when I have characters that die, I just start the campaign over because of I don't like that feeling that infinite progression where you get to that point. But I could see it happening in a couple different ways. One, if every time any character died, you basically just said that all the characters died. So basically anything that happened to kill one of the characters, you just say, okay, within that battle, they all died. And again, I'm just kind of brainstorming off the top of my head. I might change that opinion later because then you don't have that weird situation where you're just bringing in one new character and you could start the next session the same thing, be like, you know, you just heard tell of four adventurers that went off to search, you know, the wagon that was, uh, the wagon train that was robbed, and they were all found dead. It looks like they were bitten maybe by vampires. And so then you, as the next party, get to that point really quickly, which maybe it took your other party three or four sessions to get to, and then maybe you get three or four more sessions down the road. That party gets wiped out. New party comes in. And you kind of do that progression where you keep going a little bit forward, a little bit forward. So let me ask you. So you're playing in my 13th age game. Played three sessions now, I think. And the story is very convoluted because it would not be a Michael game if it wasn't. And you still don't know what crap's going on. But you are getting at least some pieces of the puzzle. So let me ask you, if, if Corbin were to die... Would you want to bring in another character that knows about this stuff that's happening but doesn't have the same emotional connection that Corbin does through the NPC Cornelius? Or would you just want to start over? Like, I'm not, my game wasn't created that way, but if I wanted to make it that way, how would you feel about it? I would want to continue this story because at this point in the game, as invested as I am to my character... You, you built the hook for the overarching story. And me personally, as a player, I want to know the answers to that story. So I would want to continue with your plot at this point. And I would make whatever necessary jumps of logic and suspension of disbelief to get a new character into that game whether I took over an existing NPC who already had the knowledge 
I'd be fine with that. Uh, whether you brought, we just simply brought in a new player character and said, okay, here's the reason why this guy is here now. Go. I'd be fine with that because the story at this point ha is what's roped me in. The way we, we cooperatively came up with those facts and the leaps and bounds you have taken beyond that to, to build this story, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I would want to do. Now, I don't think the jumping off point of if one character dies, the whole party gets wiped is a good option. I know we're just brainstorming here, but right away, I don't like that. See, I, I think that's, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's where the fantasy version kind of breaks down a little bit because it's so difficult without just being a dick to kill a whole party of PCs. But if you're playing a modern game, if they were to fight a vampire, it's very easy for that battle just to kill everybody. So I think that's where the, the, the log, internal logic starts to break down because if you have a, a PC in a, like a D&D game that dies, the other characters could probably get away. So then you would have to just say you all die, which is kind of weird. But I don't know that that type of game would hold up if you're just replacing one character at a time. So so the answer to your original question may be no. I don't know if that would work in a typical D&D game. I mean, the the solution is to give them a fight that there is no way of winning. To, to say, okay, we've started this adventure, you've played through a few hours at the table, one gaming session, and you as the GM have in the back of your head, all right, at the end of tonight, everyone has to be dead. What encounter will make this happen? No escape, everyone dies. Okay, here's, you know, an epic level dragon, and you guys are level three. There's no way around that. <laughs> right. But again, but, but, but does that feel like a cheat? Because I can see in the Supernatural game where you don't try to kill them, it's just probably going to happen because of the nature of those games. And then rather than that ending your game, you use it as a story point. So well, I don't know. Like I said, go ahead. I mean, something you could do is not really take over the story, but draw the curtain on the fight early. So, okay, third level PCs, uh, you throw them against whatever, a beholder, because we've been harshing on beholders tonight. The, the, as soon as one of them dies, instead of continuing initiative, you say, all right, uh, Redgar, the fighter, has fallen. The beholder laughs maniacally and turns to the rest of you. End session. Draw the curtain, shut it down. Next game, next session, new characters, the morning herald, the town crier is, is giving you information that a party of four adventurers has died in the woods. We think it's some sort of beholder monster. So you don't have to play out the death, but you know it happened. Or maybe it didn't happen and one of them comes back later, foreshadowing. I don't know. We're making right. this up as we go. <laughs> But you're essentially taking away the need to say, all right, you are at zero hit points. Okay, you are at zero hit points. Okay, you are at zero hit points. End. You know. Right. And, well, and you also have the chance that, uh, that they would end up winning. Right. That we've talked about before, where they just roll three 20s in a row and now your beholder is dead. And you're like, oh, well, hmm. Right. <laughs> so, or someone yeah. 
or someone drops some crazy spell and the beholder rolls a one on their will save, you know? Unless you are just bending the rules and saying they're going to win no matter what, if you take away some of those chances of the PC's success because you know you want them to die for the sake of the rest of your story, it's okay. All right. So I think that's something I need, I need some more thought on, but I'll just throw it out to the audience. I'm a big fan of experimentation. Like I really, almost every time I run a game, I try to do something a little bit different than what I did before, whether it be the type of game that I'm running, the system, you know, and some of those experiments become part of what I do going forward. So, you know, kind of the uh, scientific process. I try something out. If it works, I stick with it. And if it doesn't, then I move on. And, uh, you know, so one of the things I did was like the NPC thing through A New World, where I wanted all the characters to create NPCs throughout the course of the game. And that's something I do pretty regularly now. This 13th Age game, as we talked in a previous episode, I've implemented the rule this time that death is optional. You're, you guys have the option, and when your characters are about to die, to let them die or to take a serious consequence instead. And, you know, that's something I may do going forward. So this is something I might try. Maybe, maybe if this 13th Age game falls apart, or maybe if I just TPK you guys on, on accident, I might just say, no, we're still, stick, we're still staying with the story. It's bigger than the three of you, and we'll just work them in and, and continue the story forward, which is different than what I normally do. But I would like to ask if there's anyone out there who has played in a game like this, you know, what was the foundation and how did it turn out and, you know, any feedback or best practices if you want, if we wanted to try this, any suggestions on how, how it worked or maybe if it failed spectacularly, but just get some, you know, some feedback on people that maybe have done that. I think that would be just kind of interesting. But uh, as a DM, I always like to try to experiment a little bit and do something a little bit different than what I did before because it kind of helps keep me interested in the game. If I'm running the same game over and over again, I'll get bored. Okay, so what about this? Let's say we all die in 13th age. And let's say, which is 100% likely, knowing how your games go. Hey, I've never killed a character yet. Both in Made Men and in A New World. So far, no PCs have died. Yeah, but this is the first time I'm playing with you. Oh, that's true. And I've already proven to make some very poor choices (laughs) for the sake of the character. I would not say poor. I would say drama-inducing choices. (laughs) <laughs> you're right okay I'll agree with you there so we all, we're all dead you say alright guys we're going to continue the story are you going to tell us to roll up new characters or are you going to bring us back to the table and hand us characters obviously this is a theoretical exercise but that's kind of what we're chatting about here And and here's in this specific example, here's my motivation for asking. If we have that shock of everyone dying, and then add that to the shock of you telling us same bat time, same bat station, assuming we had not had this conversation already, I would we would all be pretty shocked and nervous and in the dark about what's going to happen. If you then tell us, okay, uh, by the way, roll up new characters, we know what's up. But if we come back to the table and you say, okay, last time everybody died, Caleb, you walk into the bar 
as a bard, and here's your motivation. Scott, you are now the town captain of the guard. Matt, you are so-and-so investigating, and that moment, the light bulb clicks. Yeah, see, I think, because, well, for me, I've done both of those. Like, I, I have created characters for players before, and it's worked very well for me in the past, so I'm actually a fan of that. And, and it's one of the things I just kind of thought of when you said that, but I actually think creating a new character sort of accelerates the grieving process. That if I have a beloved character that dies, but between sessions I spend time making a new character, I think it kind of lessens the impact of the old one because then I get caught up in, well, these are my stats, and I've kind of always wanted to play a rogue anyways, and you know I think I'll try this new subclass out. And I think it sort of accelerates the grieving, so you you get over that death. So from like a metagame standpoint, I think you being left in the dark would have more of an emotional punch. But I think it also comes down to the maturity of the players. If you know, there's some players that would probably get pissed off by that. Uh, so it really just you know, like everything else, comes down probably to the group that you're playing with. But if it was me, then I probably would just say, "All right, you guys are all dead. Uh, I have a plan." Just, you know, we're going to meet again, our normal two-week session, um, and I'll have everything ready to go. And you guys may be thinking, is it like an afterlife thing? Are you going to be resurrected? Is it a dream? And then when I hand you these new characters, and to your point earlier, because it, it, it could still be something else. Like, you may end up interacting with your old characters at some point where you think they're dead, but they're actually captured. And then now I say, okay, you have the option. Do you want to keep playing the bard, or do you want to step back into Corbin's shoes now that you freed him from this dungeon? And that could be an interesting decision. You know, maybe you go back and forth. That's actually one of the other experiments that I've started, but I've never actually worked out, is, is I have multiple characters for one player that they can trade in and out. I'm more like a, almost like a video game. Like, hey, we're going into this type of adventure, so this week I want to bring my, my, my tank, but next week we're going into a different adventure, so I want to bring my rogue. Um, so that's another thing I might want to do at some point in time. I, I really liked your little uh, sideways mention there of the afterlife, though, because that would be pretty cool to play the dead version of your character in a certain context. I, I think, and this is, I'm sure there's a really bad B-movie about this, and I think there's a video game coming out about it, too, but the concept of your dead spirit investigating your own death, that could make for an interesting campaign. Yeah, well, I know there's 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 definitely movies about that, and actually someone, I, I sent a tweet out right before we started recording asking for some, you know, maybe some quick Twitter questions, and one of the guys replied, we, we had a quick Twitter conversation, and not to spoil anything, so spoiler alert for the Dresden Files, he brought up that there was a character oh. in the show book that had to die, so his spirit could actually do something that he couldn't do in life. How could I have forgotten that? Christ, that's my favorite book series. I know exactly what he's talking about. See, I have no idea. I don't know what character is, so don't spoil it, because I do plan on reading those at some point in time. Oh, you need to read those. I actually bought the first one. They were on Kindle the other day for like a dollar each. I bought the first one on my Kindle. Total geek out aside, you need to get through to the fourth book. Okay. The first three books are a little rough. Gotcha. Word to the wise, suck it up and deal with it. You're gonna it's hate. Right. You're gonna hate some parts of the first three books. By the time you get to the fourth book, you're totally invested. I'm rereading the entire series right now for the umpteenth time because the next one is coming out in a couple weeks. 
actually, so, shit, I think it came out today. Damn it. <laughs> actually, I think, yeah, I think I saw something on my Amazon deal thing. Yeah. But the thing I would be cautious about there, because from a story element, I do like the, the idea that there's something that you can accomplish alive. But going back to last week's episode when I talked about the magical prodigy that wanted to die, and it was a big story thing, but as a DM, I was kind of forcing us down that path. The players did not respond well. I don't know that you could organically create a situation that a character die and then provide you the opportunity for this. And if you just create a situation to kill a PC and then say, ah, but your spirit now, I don't know that the PC would react well to that. So it would be something that maybe you could improv it. Like it wasn't the plan, but if a PC dies, like let's say it's 30 minutes into the session, it's going to last five hours and one of the PC dies rather than going, eh, sorry, dude, do you want to play an NPC or roll up another PC? Be like, no, your spirit rises and you know and fights along your and then you just kind of make that shit up and that way you keep them in there and you try to make it seem like the michael method it was part of the plan the whole time well you could structure the entire campaign to do that though you could you could your goal could be to kill the players but oh wait kill the characters sorry (laughs) sorry nsa kill the characters your goal could be to get them dead because the campaign structure you have is the afterlife. And maybe you have them jumping from different planes of whatever mythology's version of heaven and hell you're using. Or I just had a great idea. Well, I think it's great. What if you kill the characters and then it's a, it's a trope, but you have their spirits jump from body to body? And that's how you push the mystery forward and it's the thing where they don't have access to the memories they can't just go into the murderer's head and know he was a murderer but they can read things he's written he can have conversations with people he knows and maybe there's like a limited time they can be in each body so that the campaign is jumping body to body you know you jump into the fighter to fight you jump into the wizard to wizard i don't know just that that would actually be an interesting jump into the wizard to wizard to wizard You know what I'm saying? But that could be a cool story thing where, like, again, you don't tell the players. You say, hey, roll up your characters, and five minutes into the game, you kill them. Like, you just put them, like you said, you put them in against a a dragon battle way too early, that you kill them, and then while they're packing up their dice and they're all pissed off, be like, wait, wait, game's not over. You you know, and then that that could actually be a very interesting game. That could I'm liking that. Because, see, I would say instead of, I mean, you might want to kill them. You might want to start the game with an encounter. And and that's the only encounter that there is with these actual living characters. Like, you start in the middle of a fight, like we've done before. I would say, though, for this to really sell, you either want to have a really good backstory created, like the fate way of creating a backstory where we have these ties, or the thing they're fighting is the big bad boss. Hell, let them roll up a 15th level character, a 20th level character, and they're fighting the god that is trying to destroy the world, the lich, the crazy boss, and like do like you did in the 13th Age game we're doing. Say, all right, guys, 15th level characters, you're in the final, the final castle, staring in the throne room, and here's the lich that is destroying the world. Back up a second. All right, fighter, how did you get there? What was your specific interaction with the wizard? Uh, Rogue, how did you get involved? Um, Oh, and by the way, the king said this. 
do some of those little flashback scenes during the fight. After first round of combat, pause, back up. All right, you guys are in the castle of the loyal, the king you're all loyal to, and he's saying this to you, and the duke says this. How do you respond? All right, we're back in the fight. The lich shoots you with lightning. Okay, everyone's dead. At that point, you're in the afterlife. Then you continue with, all right, your spirits, and you have a mechanic maybe of, okay, I have a pool over here of a, a 20 different race class combos of various levels. Okay, these three are in the town right now. If you want to jump in, you can do that. It's a will save. You can make a whole mechanic of it. You can just improv the thing on the fly. But if you start like that, you're kind of invested on the back end of trying to maybe get back to that point or figure out more of the pre-story. So maybe that's a really good way to do it. Yeah, I definitely think there's something there. I, th I think having talked through it, I like the idea of the spirit game more than I like the idea of the character death part of the story game. But I could see myself having fun doing either one of them. It would just, the character death would probably have to be a modern horror game, Call of Cthulhu. I think it just fits better. You could make it work with D&D, &D, but I think it, it's not quite, you know, it's like a square square hole round peg. It doesn't quite go like it's supposed to. Uh, but I think the D&D &D version would be the spirit jumping which could be very interesting, though I am concerned about if you had new players, would you allow them to keep their own abilities, or would they have to know, okay, now you're playing a fifth level wizard. Here's how you play, you know, here's all your spells. All right, oh, now you jumped into a ninth level cleric. Here's your spells. It would be fun to jump around and have all these different abilities and try things out, but it could be really slow if you have new players that don't know how to do the things that these characters can do at all these levels. Well, that's that's a... Uh, a great reason to use 4th edition because even at higher levels or random levels, you still only have 4 or 5 powers or special abilities. And they're pretty much right on one sheet and they pretty much say, when you hit this happens. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think that would ultimately be the best system, but since we were already talking about 4th edition that would be a really easy way to smooth over that worrisome part of this. Yeah, I agree with you on that, that 4th uh, edition, from the aspect of being afraid of players not knowing how to do things, that makes the most sense. I don't know what system it would be best for from a role-playing standpoint, because I guess, again, that come, again comes down to your DM, comes down to your players. But yeah, so don't be surprised, I guess, if you die in my game, that I, that I just figure out how to make that make sense. Well, I mean, fate would definitely work. Because fate is super simple. There's no classes and varying abilities. It's just the uh, it's just the aspects and troubles and and stunts. And I like the idea of fate too. That you have some people that you can't take over. Yeah. They have like the indomitable spirit. Right. Particularly like the main bad guy. You can't just jump into his body and then have him commit suicide. Right. I think if you wanted to do it in a normal D twenty. Dungeons and Dragons, it would definitely be a better fit for experienced players. I think the nature of the game would just... You need someone who can adapt to the different role-playing and the different race-class combos. Kind of have to... You have to go into the meta for a minute here to make this work. But on the other hand, you could 
as a fun element to this ever-growing complication, you could say, okay, you've jumped into a wizard. You have no idea what this wizard can do. Do you want to cast a spell? Try it. And you have to, like, you have to roll, on, not really random, but you would know what the wizard could do, but the, the spirit character would almost need to roll some sort of will-based interaction or charisma-based interaction to get this body to do something. And if you don't roll well enough, the fireball is just going to go off randomly. I mean, maybe that's way too complicated, but I think that's a potential element that you could include in this rambling, evolving concept we're talking about here. I am liking that idea, though, of, um, you know, I've been trying to think about, like, what kind of game I would want to run at a con, because I am I would like to start doing that. Uh, you know, maybe this is the game we run at a con. We, we actually ride it out, and uh, we have the body jumping as, like, our first con game. Or I like the thought of we do the other thing where people die and each like do like three games that are all built upon each other. And like the second game you recap, well, you guys just found out that three people were murdered in a house, but that's what actually happened in the first game. And so that, you know, if somebody played all three games, they would get one coherent story. But if you only played in one of them, you would just get a recap of what the other groups accomplished or didn't accomplish. Hmm. I mean, I think if you're going to go the murder mystery route where the the deaths bleed into the next story chunk, it definitely needs to be each chapter of the story is one gaming session. You know, right. All right, Tuesday night, chapter one, these characters are now dead because of this. Next Tuesday, chapter two, new characters, maybe they die right away, maybe they last a game or two. But there's a spe- there needs to be a specific starting and end point which e- with each of those sessions in mind. That can't be an open-world game. That has to be a start and a finish plot. Right, and I think that's why it would work good for like a con game. Because then you really could, you could change it based on what happens. So if you have a group that succeeds and they actually end up killing the vampire, you know, somehow in the, the old abandoned warehouse or mansion... Then the next group, you could say, you know, there was this mystery. There was this, there was this uh, old man that was murdered by four people. They were arrested and incarcerated, and now they claim he was a vampire, and they've been put into a mental hospital. So even though they won, you start off the next story by talking about how the aftermath affected them. Or if they all die, then they all died. Uh, you know, so basically you could recognize and reward the groups ahead of you for their success when it really wouldn't change the story you need to tell for part two whether they succeeded or not, because uh, you're playing different characters, but they know about what happened in the first session. It's it's rumor, it's local legend. It could even be years in the past, and maybe their characters have to go back and talk to the previous characters in the mental institution to find out what really happened that night. So I, I definitely could see that happening like as a three-session, like a Gen Con. You play one session, you know, Thursday, one session, Friday, one session, Saturday type thing. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to run three games at a con. I haven't really been ready to run one. But I'm liking that as a concept. I do, too. I I think where you started with this idea is not where we just ended up. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But uh, it it would definitely work. Um, I think we could even, if we go back to your original idea, we could really relate this uh, back to the 
a few shows in the past where you talked about having the the death prophecy. Oh yeah. I I think in theory, again, we'd have to hash it all out, but you know, you could say, "All right, you know that you will die in this battle and it's coming up in three games." You know, it's not so much that random prophecy where you're trying to explore it, understand it, and possibly exploit it. It's more of a it's a it's a very definite. You know you're going to die. Now, or next time you fight this guy, how do you prepare? How do you get ready for it? I mean, what what's your what does the impact of this knowledge have on your on your character? Can you cheat death? I mean, true. You, know, you could always go with a thing where you you know you die but you're resuscitated on the battlefield, where you so you're not actually gone but you you know your spirit crosses over. So, yeah, that's a lot to think about. I, I think we could probably keep talking about this for three more hours and keep coming up with different avenues. Uh, so I think we'll call it here. But again, we'll throw it out to the audience. Um, what do you think? Is this is this viable? Is this a, a game you'd want to play at a con? And um, going back to the death prophecy thing, too, send us in your idea for a cool death prophecy. If I ever get around to running that game, I might just use yours that were sent in rather than have the characters create their own and just give it to them say here this is the prophecy that was given to you on your 12th birthday this is how you're going to die and that way it's it's not connected to me and it's not connected to them and it's kind of a, an interesting uh, role play challenge so I like that you can give us feedback and comments on our website therpgacademy.com you can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at the rpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at the RPG Academy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the RPG Academy. We also have a Google Plus page, the RPG Academy. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.